You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, you've asked me, Pastor Flammy, as you're walking out of church or after Bible class, a question that comes up all the time, and it's wonderful. It's a question of all all Christians who have heard the Lord's Word and rejoiced in the truth of the Gospel. We who know our sinfulness and what we deserve from God, and and on the other hand, what God gives to us in His grace, uh, after we hear the good news and we say, Pastor, why doesn't everybody believe this? Why doesn't everyone trust the Gospel? Why doesn't everybody come to church? We know the wonder of the Lord's Word, the kindness of Jesus, the grace of God, and we ask, why doesn't everyone rejoice in this? Now, this is an ancient question in the church to, to kind of pull it back from the, from the joy, how we ask it, and to ask it theologically. The question is, why are some saved and others not? The old Lutheran theologians had a Latin name for the question. They called it the crux theologorum the theologian's cross. Because this question, why some and not others, does not have a satisfying rational answer. We know, for example, that all people are sinners, that we're conceived in sin, that we are born nature uh, by nature children of wrath. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and we can do nothing to save ourselves. That salvation is purely the work of God. That, that He gives us faith. He sustains faith. He calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with His gifts, and so forth. And this is called grace alone. We know also that God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that Christ died for the sins of the world. That means everybody in the world. That's what we call universal grace. And we also know, the Bible teaches, that those who die in unbelief are condemned, judged by God, worthy of His wrath, and they spend eternity in damnation, in hell itself. Now, these three scriptural doctrines are clear, but but what is not clear is how we fit them together. How can it be that if we're completely unable of saving ourselves, that if God does all of the work for salvation, and that uh, and that He desires for all to be saved, how can it be that some are not saved? Now, there's three different ways to settle the question in our minds. The first is universalism. And really, all three strategies are simply to deny one of those three truths. Universalism says that God's grace is for everyone, that salvation is by grace alone, but that nobody is condemned, nobody is damned, there's nobody in hell. This is taught mostly by uh, the liberal mainstream churches uh, and, and this sort of thing, and of course it contradicts the doctrine of the Scripture. The other way to settle it is by the doctrine of limited atonement. This was taught by Calvin And it is the doctrine that Christ does not want everyone to be saved, that Jesus did not die for the sins of the world, but only for the elect. That settles it, but it denies the scriptural truth of universal grace. And the third way is to say that, well, the reason why some people are saved and other people are not is that some people choose to be saved and other people don't. Some people cooperate with God and other people don't. In other words, the difference is not God, the difference is in man. But that denies 
grace alone. Now that's the teaching of our friends like in the, in the Baptist church, the non-denominational church, the Bible churches, even uh, uh, the, the Roman Catholic church teaches that doctrine. And it, it's a doctrine we call synergism. And again, it denies that salvation is worked by grace alone. So there's ways to settle this in our minds, but each way is to deny the scriptural truth. That's why the old Lutherans called this the theologian's cross. Because when we come to this question, our mind has to be crucified. Like Isaiah preached, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. Our finite minds cannot put these things together. Now here's as close as we can get. When we come to the question, why some and not others, we divide up the question into two questions. And we ask, why are some saved? And the answer that the Bible gives to us is that some are saved because God saves them, beginning to end. He calls them by the gospel, enlightens them with his gifts. It's even God's work to keep them in the true faith unto life everlasting. So that for those who are saved, we have nothing to boast in of ourselves, only that God's grace has kept us. But then the second question, why are some not saved, is that it is our own fault. The sinner is to blame because of the sin of their heart, their sinfulness, and the things that they do, they are damned. Now that's as close as we can get. But it still doesn't settle it, see? It still doesn't get to the, to the root cause of why some, not others. And in fact, it's like this on purpose. God has held back a number of his truths, or I shouldn't say he's held them back. He has put a number of his truths above us so that we cannot grasp them. And so we are left in the end trusting in his word. Now, this question that you ask and that theologians ask, the disciples of Jesus also ask. Why are some saved and not others? Why, as Jesus was going around doing his preaching and his miracles, uh, serving the world, coming to be the Savior of all people, why did some people become his followers and other people become his enemies? Why did some people become his disciples and others try to kill him? And Jesus answers that question insofar as it can be answered in the parable that he gives to us today, which is the parable of the sower. The sower goes out to sow his seed, and the seed is the word. And that seed falls on three different types of ground, or three different types of hearts. And Jesus outlines them them for us. Now we see in this that God's word has enemies. That the preaching of the gospel is fought against. And the enemies of the gospel are threefold. First, the devil. Second, the world. And third, our sinful flesh. First, the devil. This is from the text, Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, The ones, that is, the seeds along the path, are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around, seeking whom he can devour. 
And the devil doesn't want you or me to have anything good. Now, this is true. The devil is grumpy. He's upset. He's grieved. Even if we get a bite to eat or a drink or we have a place to sleep, we have clothes to keep us warm. The devil is displeased if we have a moment of contentment in this life. But the devil is most displeased if we hear the Lord's word. That's, that's, that's the focus of his attack. That's what he's up to. So the devil is always trying to prevent you from hearing the Lord's word. In your home, this is why every day it seems like the most difficult task is the most simple, hearing God's word and believing it. It's why it always seems like it's more trouble to get to church than to get to anywhere else in the world. <laughs> the devil's always trying to stop you. And even when you're here, he, he doesn't let up. He, he, he comes with all sorts of distractions, all sorts of worries and troubles and things that get in the way of hearing the Lord's word. The picture that Jesus used is birds snatching up the, 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 the seed off of the path. You've seen, you know, pigeons going around in the park getting bread or any of you grew up on a farm and you remember how it was to feed the chickens <laughs> and you throw out the chicken feed and the chickens are you know, going around scraping and poking and grabbing up the seeds like this. Well, that's exactly what's happening to you and to me right now with our own hearts and minds and the demons. The Lord's word is being thrown out and the devil is there trying to snatch it up, see? But, and this is a great kind of joy that we have, that we fight against the devil with the Lord's word itself. The Lord's word is our sword and our shield that we use to drive the devil back. When I was growing up, uh, mom used to, I don't know when this was, I, I didn't pay attention, but a couple of times a year she would, uh, she would fumigate our house in Texas because, you know, the bugs could come in. And so, I, I, again, I, the only reason I remember this is because we had to be out of the house all day, so she would always take us to the movies, <laughs> which I liked it. But she would get some sort of canisters or something like this and shake it and snap it off and the fog would come out and would fill the house and would go into all the different places and kill all the bugs, apparently. Well, Luther says that God's word is like a fumigation for the devil. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Whenever we open our Bible, it's like opening the can and the fog comes out and the devil can't stand it. So as we occupy ourselves with the Lord's Word, hearing the Lord's Word, reading the Lord's Word, studying the Lord's Word, hearing the preaching of God's Word, praying the Lord's Word, singing the Lord's Word, that it's driving away the devil so that the Lord's Word has a chance to settle in and, and, and plant itself in our heart. The second enemy of the Lord's Word after the devil is the world. Jesus says it like this, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, but then in time of testing, they fall away. Do you see the picture is a seed that goes into the rich soil that is among the rocks and it sprouts and grows quickly, but there's no place for the, for the root to go down. So, so it can't reach water. It has no depth. It has no foundation. It has no uh, solidity. So that when the sun starts to beat down on it, it, it has no reserves, nothing to draw from, and it withers and dies. And Jesus says, this is what happens to us when we hear the Lord's word and believe it, but then times of suffering comes along and it causes our faith to wither and to die. 
Now, I think it's helpful to consider suffering in two ways. The first is kind of the general suffering that comes from living in the fallen world, the suffering that's common to humanity. This is the suffering of getting sick, the suffering of dying, the suffering of those that we love getting sick and dying. It's the suffering of disasters, of of, of kind of general trouble, of all the bad things that just generally happen to us in our day in and day out, big or small, uh, national or individual, all this sort of stuff. And when these things happen to the Christian with no root, they, they cause us to shrivel up, to, 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 to dry up and become uh, a wilted. We ask questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God in the midst of all of these disasters? We end up blaming God for all of the bad things that happen in the world, become frustrated with God, and we would follow the advice of Job's wife who says to him when all these troubles come, remember, curse God and die. Now we know that sufferings are part of living in this fallen world. And the more we hear the Lord's word and trust in his promises, the more our roots dig down deep into the foundation of God's promises, the more he strengthens our hope so that when we suffer the troubles of this world, instead of throwing away God's word, we cling even more tightly to it. I heard a story a long time ago by a street preacher. I think this is maybe the only street preacher story that I'll ever tell you but as a street preacher, and he used this illustration, and it's really quite wonderful. He says, a lot of people uh, in the church preach that Jesus is for us to make our lives better. Uh, that when you have Jesus, things go well. We see this a lot on the TV preachers. So that you, 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 if, you if you become, a, and they'll even say things like, well, try Jesus out and see how it works. You know, like Jesus is supposed to make you, you know, give you better digestion and help you find better parking places and all this kind of thing. Now, he said that this is, a, if you would imagine the picture of being on an airplane and the plane is crashing and this, the steward or the stewardess comes to you and hands you a parachute and says to you, here, hold on tight, strap this parachute on, it'll make your plane ride better. <laughs> Now, can you imagine? It's, you're hunched over like this. It's, it, you can't sit up straight. Every, uh, you know, every time the plane jostles, it hurts your back. And you say, this is so stupid. It's not making my flight better. And so you take it out and you put it in your lap. But every time there's turbulence, it, you know, knocks over your mimosa or whatever. And, and you put the, the parachute down under the sh- seat in front of you. You're trying to get rid of it. It's not making the flight better at all. Well, it's not supposed to. Imagine, on the other hand, if the, if the person who handed you the parachute says, grab onto this parachute, the plane's going down, and it's your only hope. Now, every time the plane shakes, you tighten your straps. <laughs> now, every time something troubles you like this, you grab onto the parachute because you know it's your only hope, you see? This is why we trust in Christ, not to make our life better, but because this thing's going down. <laughs> and He is our only hope. So that when we see the tremors of the coming of the end of the world, either in our own lives and the sufferings that we suffer, or in the life of the world, we cling all the more tightly to Christ, to our hope. To, we, we trust in Him. That's the first kind of suffering. And the Lord would use it to strengthen our faith, not to destroy it. <laughs> to strengthen our hope, not to cause it to wither. 
But there is a second type of persecution, and that is the persecution specifically directed at the Christian by the devil and the world for being Christian. This is the suffering of persecution. Now, we, in a lot of ways, don't know what it means. It is true of us, like it is true to the recipients of the epistle to the Hebrews, that we have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. Not in America, at least, not yet. So that we barely know the very first waves of persecution. We've barely tasted what this is. But Jesus warns us that the devil would use the persecution of the church to cause our faith to to wither. And so we trust in the Lord's word and we sink into the Lord's word to have strength to endure. Pastor Flamey and I have been talking and, in fact, uh, <clears throat> teaching and thinking a lot about about how we prepare uh ourselves as a church for the coming persecution. And we understand that, uh, that the, especially the, the teaching of the catechism, as we memorize the commandments and the creed and the Lord's prayer and the, and the various passages of God's word, is preparing us for persecution. And in a large way, when we gather here every Sunday and sing the liturgy, that this too is preparation for persecution. If or when you're ever dragged into court and someone says, what do you believe? You already know what to say. You've said it every Sunday. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so forth. If you're ever thrown in jail, then you have hymns to sing, like Paul who Peter who were thrown in jail, and you sing, glory be to God on high, and holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. If you're ever being tortured, or dragged around, you know what to pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And then when it's time to die, you know what hymn to sing. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. So that these things are preparation for dying and preparation for persecution. Now there is the third attack on God's Word. We had the devil and we had the world. The third attack is the flesh. Verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. It is a great irony, I've always thought, but it makes sense, I suppose, that the devil would attack God's Word on the one hand by causing us to suffer, and on the other hand by causing us great pleasure. <laughs> it seems like it would be one or the other, but it is in fact both. The devil tempts us with suffering, and he tempts us with the pleasures and cares of this life. He tempts us with riches and with good things. He tempts us to trust not in His Word, but in our wealth or our possessions or the other things of this world. We're tempted constantly, you know, dear saints, and Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. We're tempted to think that our treasure is in our wallet and not in God's Word. That our riches are in the bank and not on the altar. That our security is in our retirement account and not in the work of God's holy angels to protect and keep us. Do you see? 
Now, when it comes to this choking out of God's word by the pleasures of this world, it is something for us to consider in our own heart. And we find in our own heart that not only are there rocks there, but there are also weeds sprouting up all over. Things that are constantly tempting us to love them more than God, or to trust in them more than God, or to be afraid of them more than God. And that is this final warning from Jesus. They are, the word is choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. Now, I think with all three of these attacks, the devil, the world, and the flesh, there is plenty of us to repent of. Because we see in all three of these assaults on the Lord's word, we see ourselves and we see our failures. We see our temptations and we see our sin. We see how, how we love all of these other things more than God's Word and trust in all of these things more than God's Word and we're afraid of all of these things more than God's wrath. So we repent. But that is where the work for us to do is ended. Remember how we talked at the very beginning why some and not others? And we said that when we're damned, it's our own fault. Well, that's what we've been considering all along. But when we are saved, it is not our doing, but God's himself. Jesus says, For that that falls in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. But who here has a good heart? Jesus himself says that out of the heart comes every wicked thing. God says to us through Moses in Genesis that the uh, the heart is, or Jeremiah, the heart is wicked above everything who can know it. That, that the, the heart that you have is a heart of flesh, a heart completely corrupted with sin, a heart that's given to death. But still Jesus comes to you with his word, with his word that forgives sins with His Word that has life, with His Word which is light and truth. And His Word takes your stony heart and removes it and gives you a heart of flesh. His Word takes your death and gives you life. His Word takes your sin and gives you the promise of forgiveness. His word takes your darkness and shines in light. His word takes your despair and gives you hope and patience and peace and faith. The power of the gospel we are not ashamed of because it is the power of salvation. So we this morning rejoice because it is one thing to know that God's Word has enemies and that the world, the flesh, and the devil are always fighting against the Word. But it is another thing to know that God's Word fights back. His Word fights against the devil and His Word wins. His world fights against the world and even though the world will be destroyed, His Word endures forever. And His Word fights against your flesh. And it gives you life and hope and peace. His word, dear saints, endures forever. And this is your confidence. In the name of Jesus, amen. And may the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding. Guard your minds and hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.